Would you pray with me? Loving and gracious God, guide us in this hour so that the word said and the message heard is acceptable to you, our rock and redeemer. Amen. <clears throat> the peace of Christ. Many of us today are concerned about the world that we live in. In nearly every prayer meeting that I attend, there's a prayer request made for the world overall. The so that so many people experience the, the difficulties in life, the challenges that we face of climate change, the legitimacy of the global climate, climate warning, warnings, the divisiveness in our politics, the list can go on and on. The prevalence and magnitude of the conflict visible in our lives can be overwhelming. For example, according to a nonpartisan think tank called the Ford Council on Foreign Relations, there are currently 27 active military conflicts going on in the world today. We pray for peace and justice, but the new stories of confrontation never seem to stop coming. We even witness confrontation in the universal church. While we read the scriptures, the same scriptures, pray to the same just Jesus and worship the same God, and receive our traditions from the same original apostles, we can't all seem to agree on the same basic doctrine, or even share communion at the same table. According to a 20, 2011 article published by the Pew Research Center, another nonpartisan research group. There are currently 2.18 billion Christians in the world, roughly a third of the world's population. And yet we're all split across hundreds, if not thousands of denominations. In the US alone, there's over 200 denominations. How can this be? Well, maybe today's reading from the Gospel of Luke can give us a clue. This passage is labeled one of the hard sayings from Jesus, according to many commentators. While most of the sayings from Jesus that are, that are in our Bible that have been handed down to us talk about compassion and kindness, this one talks about division and conflict, and how Jesus intentionally creates this conflict. It starts with Jesus saying that his purpose in life is to, quote, cast fire upon the earth, and how he wished it was already set ablaze. This may not be as bad as it first sounds. It's helpful to consider what this most likely meant in the first century versus today. And today we think of the world being on fire as a metaphor for the wide range of violent conflict that takes place. It reminds me of a song from Billy Joel. We didn't start the fire. <laughs> An attempt to refute the claim that it was his generation that created this terrible mess we live in, Billy Joel wrote in the chorus, We didn't start the fire. It was always burning since the world's been turning. But that's not Jesus was probably that's not what Jesus was probably talking about. He wasn't advocating for life-threatening violence throughout the world when he said he wished the world was ablaze. Fire was commonly used as a symbol of judgment in first century literature. 
To cast fire upon the earth was more likely his way of referring to his coming judgment of creation. Jesus knew his fate to endure crucifixion and resurrection, which would culminate in him taking his place at the right hand of God to judge the living and the dead. The world being on fire was the condition of the world being judged. But he was constrained, as our passage describes until the baptism of his crucifixion and resurrection was complete. It was a difficult time for Jesus when he knew what needed to be done, and he looked forward to fulfilling his ultimate purpose. But of course he dreaded the impending suffering he was about to endure. Well, in today's passage, I think the conflict that Jesus is talking about is similar to the conflict that we experience, but on an interpersonal level. This is the kind of division that takes place when someone wants to take certain steps that they believe are appropriate and right, but they conflict with another person who prefers a different course of action that serves their own personal interests. Contrary to today's passage, there are other Bible passages that suggest that Jesus did come to bring about God's peace. For example, in the in the chapter 2 of Luke, we see the message from the heavenly host who announced Jesus' birth, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And in chapter 24, when Jesus appears to the disciples after his resurrection, he greets them with the words, Peace be with you. But our passage today focuses on how the work of redemption often creates redemption. Redemptive work frequently involves doing things in our community that we know we should do, even though they directly conflict with what someone else wants to do. Following the teachings of Jesus, it can give us, help us create a kind of dilemma. And it was even foretold at Jesus' birth that he would be a source of great conflict during his life. As you might remember the story of Jesus being presented in the temple in chapter 2 of the Gospel of Luke. There was a righteous man named Simeon who was moved by the Holy Spirit to find Jesus in the temple that day. He was waiting to see the Messiah, and when he found Jesus, he took him in his, in his arms and told his mother Mary, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Clearly a person who causes leaders to, to rise and fall will be immersed in conflict, and to think that his fate would cause a sword to pierce the soul of his own mother must have been very difficult to hear. But this is often what happens when the truth is revealed. Conflict and division ensue. We see evidence of this conflict in the Gospel of John on many occasions. In chapter 7, it talks about Jesus going to the temple and teaching during the festival of Tabernacles, one of the three great pilgrimage festivals. People knew that the authorities were trying to capture him, but he was able to openly teach in the temple because he astounded the crowds. 
And this created division among the Jews because some thought that he may be the Messiah, while others thought that he must be a criminal because the leaders were trying to capture him. And in chapter 9, there's a story of a man whose sight had been restored by Jesus, and he was being interrogated by the Pharisees. Some thought Jesus had sinned because he healed the man on the Sabbath. But others thought that Jesus couldn't possibly be a sinner if he could perform, perform such miraculous healings. These conflicts actually stem, stemmed from misconceptions that people had, which Jesus was trying to address. Whether the conflict was born out of jealousy, as in the first example, or about misunderstandings regarding the Sabbath, as in the second instance. The teachings of Jesus often manifested in division among the people, as some of them got it and some of them didn't. It's also important to reflect on the kind of division that Jesus was promoting. In our passage this morning, Jesus states, Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. The Greek word used for peace in this passage, irene, referred to a state of harmony in personal relations. And the word for, used for division, theamerismon, referred to dissension or disunity. You note that these two terms describe interpersonal relations, not international relations. Now some have suggested that this passage shows that Jesus was encouraging an attitude of war, referring to it as a text supporting just war theory. I don't know that it does really though. The division described in this passage is between family members, and it suggests a kind of conflict that may be heated, but not necessarily violent. This is a division that is sparked by a recognition that either some injustice has taken place and must stop, or a change in behavior is needed to fulfill the law of love. It is not an encouragement to engage in violence so that our particular understanding of God's will must be done. This is not what Jesus is encouraging in this passage, and it's inconsistent with the rest of Jesus' teachings. There may be other reasons to use force possibly, such as in the defense of a nation that is being invaded by its neighbor, but that's a different situation. This passage raises the issue that ushering in the kingdom of God will inevitably create conflict, but not necessarily violent conflict. And all the, although the New Revised Standard Version, updated edition, implies this state of conflict is inevitable when it says, from now on, I think the original Greek language doesn't necessarily imply that a state of division must be the norm forever. I think another way of interpreting the given phrase is to say that there will be periodic times of division now that Christ has come into the world and revealed the nature of God's kingdom. But those conflicts do not have to continue indefinitely. Conflict will take place as we grow and learn, but we are ultimately moving toward a state of God's peace that Christ came to make available to all of us. 
We can reach that place of peace, but we most must be devoted to authentically living the kind of life that Jesus is leading us towards. Jesus complained that the crowds who followed him had a good understanding of the superficial characteristics of the world, but they lacked an understanding of the deeper, more important aspects of life. When they saw a cloud rising in the west from the direction of the Mediterranean Sea, they knew it was going to rain. And when they felt wind coming from the south, from the desert lands, they knew it was going to be a hot day. Likewise, when we track the trends of the stock market and accurately predict the next phase of the economy, or we diligently monitor the likes and followers on social media so we can tell who the next trendsetter is going to be, we're only noticing superficial aspects of our lives. More importantly, Christ wants us to track the state of our relationships with our parents, our children, our significant others. We should be delving more deeply into our relationship with God, discerning how we can serve Christ more effectively. Jesus called out those claiming to be his followers but failing to authentically follow him, saying that they were hypocrites. The term that was used in the writings for hypocrites suggests that they were actors or pretenders who only put on a show. Jesus wants us to be authentic followers who sincerely live out the teachings that he gave us. Beyond stern messages we get from this passage today, we should also notice the equally strong words of repentance and forgiveness that are part of the overall gospel message. Perhaps we may endure conflict when we learn that we've been a source of perpetuating injustice. Or we might find ourselves in the uncomfortable position of confronting someone else who may be inadvertently harming others. But just as Christ balances criticism with grace and judgment with forgiveness, we must also offer grace and forgiveness to our brothers and sisters in Christ as we journey together. Being kind doesn't mean we need to easily capitulate to the destructive whims of society. But it also doesn't mean that we should be hateful or arrogant to those that we disagree with. I encourage you today to reflect on your walk with Christ and commit to an authentic journey characterized by a resolve to live by Christian principles, as well as sincere love for those that you're journeying with. Christ has high expectations for us, but we should not expect our journey with him will be easy. But we will know that if we are on the right path, we'll be guided by his abiding love. Amen.